They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Hello, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself, and we have another Michael with us here today, Mike Yashevsky, affectionately known as Ski, is the president and CEO of Toltec brand protection and licensed private investigator for over 19 years. He specializes in intellectual property rights investigations, corporate fraud, and other complex case matters. Approaching 20 years in the business, Ski handles sensitive investigative work for individuals, entrepreneurs, attorneys, celebrities, athletes, and numerous Fortune 500 companies. With encouragement and spiritual support from family and friends, Mike launched Toltec Investigations and has since become the go-to person for countless clients who have come to rely on his efficiency, expertise, and experience. Ski has built an extensive network of professional partners and during his career has investigated and managed case files in all 50 states and over 70 countries. So, Ski, welcome to the show. Michael, thank you so much. Uh, I, I love the, the concept of your uh, podcast and, and just more so how it applies to life and business in general. I mean, knowing people is what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what I've been using this this third season for is is uh, primarily to educate myself and then secondarily my audience. I uh, When I went to Strategic Alliance Live, I met all these successful people and I said, they're doing something. I want to find out what. So let me talk to as many of them as I can and have them share the story of how they got started and see if I can copy it because imitation is the best form of flattery. Um, so well, speaking of flattery, let's start with our first traditional first question. Mike, what makes you awesome? Well, Michael, one of the things that I would say makes me awesome, especially in business, is I do what you just said. I look for other people who have had success in the places I want to succeed, and then I emulate and sometimes even copy their philosophies and apply them to the private investigation industry. And that's genuinely how we grew the business, just caring about our clients and finding other successful people that we could emulate. I love it. That makes a great deal of sense. So going back to the beginning, how did you get started in this world? Yeah, so I was uh, serving in the Coast Guard down in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And at the end of my four-year enlistment, I decided I wanted to go and do law enforcement. And during the lengthy processes, as, as most people know, to apply for law enforcement, I needed a job. And so I found a job with a local PI company in St. Petersburg. And after I started and, and was working for a few years, I just loved it. And I, and I stuck with private investigations. I never had a career in law enforcement. I just stayed in the private sector. <laughs> Okay. Now, I'm, I'm sure most people think they know what a private investigator is until you actually ask them to describe one. And they're like, well, they, you know, they're, they're private. They investigate things privately. Um, so, so give us a, a quick primer on what, what is a private investigator and what do you do? Yeah. So the easiest way to break it down is that we get information you probably can't get 
from any other place or don't have the time to get or don't really understand how to get. So we are in the information business when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the main things when we uh, talk to new clients, whether it's a, one of the biggest companies in the world or just an individual who needs some information is what is your objective once you get this information? Most people don't even think beyond, hey, I want to know this thing. And then we ask them, well, what are you going to do with that information? What sort of decisions are you trying to make? And that will help us to get the information that you really need and maybe even help you understand that that's not the information you need. You need this other piece of information. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so really it's kind of beginning with the end in mind, sort of so a little bit of coaching involved, not just somebody says, I want to know this. And you're like, all right, that'll be this much money. Off we go. Right, right. Absolutely. The objective behind the objective, I always ask. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of the, the types of information that people come to you looking for? So, you know, it, it's interesting how our business has evolved and in, in to go just one step back for, you know, your listeners. I worked for a lot of PI companies for many years as a contractor, part-time, full-time. And it wasn't until I was already 10 years into being a licensed PI that I decided to start my own business. I had learned enough. I had some great mentors. I understood the customers and the investigative side and, and launched my own firm. And I was very much into the corporate fraud. It was a small niche, especially the brand protection, which is very even more niche. We're looking at counterfeit products. So anything from counterfeit Rolexes to sneakers, to auto parts, to medical devices, pharmaceuticals, things that people don't realize are counterfeited. Everything's counterfeited. Toothpaste is Mm -hmm. counterfeited. Uh, COVID vaccine cards are now counterfeited. The vaccine itself is being counterfeited around the world. So everything that consumers want, if there's a demand, counterfeiters are willing to fill that demand with counterfeit goods. And so that's really the niche that you know, kind of launched me into, you know, a successful career. And during COVID, um, you know, certain industries kind of just shut down. They were so concerned about sales and marketing and their employees working from home and all the other things that were going on with big corporations. We started taking on a lot more personal cases. And um, so our, our business shifted a little bit. And now that all the corporations and the brand protection work is coming back. We, we sort of have these two tracks now where we have a very robust personal investigation line of service and coupled with our, our corporate fraud division. Okay. Now, so, so this, like when, when you go online and you're searching for a PlayStation controller um, and, and there's, there's, you know, a knockoff, this like the, the knockoff made in China with the same plans that more or less works the same way. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we investigate everything from, you know, a knockoff, which could be considered like a trademark violation or, or some uh, design patent violation or something like that, all the way to a true counterfeit, which is an attempt to make a copy of the exact product itself um, mm-hmm. down to the packaging and, and the functionality and everything about that product that would make it a true counterfeit good. Um, and so is most of this like online investigation, like you're you're researching, I mean, you're not, I, I'm assuming you're not like flying to China and sneaking through the bushes and these factories and. Yeah. Um, so a lot about- of what we, yeah, a lot of what the, the corporations rely on us specifically for is the acquiring of the product. So that could be a simple click and buy online. It could be at the retail level, going into stores and going into marketplaces and looking for counterfeit. It could be at the wholesale level where we're posing as a retailer ourselves. And we do that through various fictitious shell companies that we operate. 
um, all the way to importing a container of product as a distributor, um, again, operating as a shell company. So we uh, have made purchases at every level. And that's typically what the big companies rely on us to do is to be able to quickly and easily acquire product, pay for the product, receive the product and provide it to them so they can evaluate what they want to do with it. Okay. And then they can take legal action or whatever the, their next step yeah. would be. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I see PIs on TV, I've, I've never seen one um, order a, or order a uh, delivery um, delivery of uh, like PlayStation controllers. So uh, it's somewhat different than what the movies show, obviously. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because we're working on a TV deal and we're trying to get this message out about how the consumer mindset has changed and how everyone is so, uh, you know, they want something faster and cheaper and they want it now. And so examining the source of that product or where it's coming from is, is not the consumer's issue anymore. You know, if you go on Amazon, you don't know who the third party seller is. Most people don't even know if you go on target that there are third party sellers. They just think everything is coming from targets warehouse mm -hmm. and target is controlling this market. And it's just a bunch of third party sellers, just like if you're on eBay or Walmart, same way, Sears, all of these uh, big companies that sort of took Amazon's model and, and trying to get a piece of that market share. So where product is coming from has now become less of a concern for the online shopper, which has led to more and more counterfeits infiltrating that consumer space. Well, yeah, I think that there's, there's trust in the, and apparently un, unbased trust in the brand. You know, you know, if you walk into a Target, you know that, or you figure that everything you're getting on the shelf is has been vetted in some way. There's a buyer, there's something. And then you go to Target.com, it's like walking into Target, right? But then they open it up and just let anyone get on there. And that, that of course, creates a lack of trust in the marketplace. You know, it happens to me all the time. I'll look back, oh, I, I want a, a phone case. I want a phone holder, whatever. And I look at it and I think, okay, so it says 30 bucks. How much am I really willing to pay for this if it works? Because there's a 50-50 shot that it's a junk and it's not what it's presented as. And I'm going to have to return it. And so I'm not willing to pay more than $30 for the item that, that is worth 50 to me because I'm putting this premium in my head of how much time will it take? To, and, and they got a good return policy, but how much time will it take to return it and how much hassle? And and because yeah. I don't trust anything on there anymore. Yeah. In, you know, in the best case scenario, it's something simple like a, a, a product, a t-shirt a that's counterfeited or a pair of sneakers or something, mm -hmm. you know, but what people aren't understanding is all of those same supply chains that the counterfeiters use for things that you would think are less dangerous. They're also using those same logistics to put, you know, vape products, mm. brake pads, uh, electronics that you use in your home. You know, when you see these, see these videos what, around Christmas time every year where extension cords are catching on fire, you know, with the Christmas tree lights or, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years ago, the hover, the hoverboards were all catching on fire. I mean, all of that was a product of counterfeit goods, whether it was mm -hmm. a component part inside, like, like an actual battery, or if it was the product itself, uh, failing catastrophically. So, you know, when you, when you think of a counterfeit, even, even, you know, these fashion sunglasses, I mean, we do a lot of work for the fashion brands and, you know, people will think, eh, I don't want to spend $250 on a pair of, you know, I won't name a brand, but this great fashion brand sunglasses, 
you know, I'll, I'm fine buying a $20 pair at the flea market. But what they're not realizing is everything from the shape of the lens, the non-existent UV protection, it's actually exposing your eye to more damage from the sun because mm. of the way that they're made and they're so cheap. It actually is tricking your eye into opening up and accepting even more dangerous rays from the sun. It's, it's these like little things in every industry that people aren't realizing are affecting, um, you know, their, their consumer behavior. You know, we get, uh, we get a lot of, we get a lot of case. I mean, all the, I mean, most people will remember in the news because it was nonstop, all these airbag issues, mm-hmm. most of the airbag issues that were coming from overseas in, in Japan was a product of counterfeit component parts. There are in an average car, there's about 40 or 50,000 parts that they mm-hmm. have to source to put your car together. And any one of those or any component that makes up one of those parts could actually fail and be the problem in, in some certain way. Uh, similar with the Samsung Note phones. Remember like a couple of years ago, they yep, wouldn't yep. even let you bring one on a plane because they were saying the phones were blowing up. It was one component part that the battery manufacturer that Samsung hired was sourcing and they were putting it in the batteries and it was causing them to catch fire and explode. So supply chain counterfeiting has been a huge problem for most manufacturers because they literally have to vet out every component part manufacturer and make sure that those component parts are coming together the right way and then being put into the final product. And hopefully all of that comes together in a way that makes a safe product. Wow. Wow. It almost seems easier just to design and create the parts in house. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, sort of give and take and deciding, you know, when is it, when is the cost savings not worth the trouble of trying to track and and maintain everything? Um, You know, as far as like, you know, when I talk to like friends and family and myself, like if I want a pair of Nikes, I'm going to a Nike store or Nike.com. It's literally the only place. I don't care if they say they have an authorized store on Amazon or an authorized store. No, it's either Nike.com or a Nike store. I have a Ford truck. When I take my truck in, I take it to a Ford dealership. It's just reducing the risk of having any sort of you know bad component or bad product introduced into your world. And that's just because I'm so close to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... I I mean, the only time I'm buying anything on Amazon is when our clients ask us to because all our bad product is out there. <laughs> We've got to source it and shut it down. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting thing to realize that. And, and I, I imagine you're probably a little bit uh, your your view is a little bit flavored than in that you you swim in seas of bad products day and night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm constantly looking at labels, even in legitimate stores. You know, to see like is is this. You know, was this manufactured for sale in the U.S.? You know, we get a lot of that type of investigation where a product that's made for one marketplace in another part of the world is, is now infiltrating other markets. And, you know, there's there's so much about product movement and how companies try to control it. And, and that's where they bring us in. Wow. Interesting. Um, now, so, so your, your company is called Toltec Investigations, which um, so for those not familiar um now, so, so I, I know that from the book, The Four Agreements. Is that is that the kind of source for yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't know there's something before the book where that um, kind of goes back to. Um, but so the philosophy has, has four agreements, uh, which are be impeccable to your word, do not take anything personally, do not make assumptions, and always do your best, uh, which which I, I got a uh, one of my coaches encouraged me to read that book, and I've gotten a tremendous amount out of it, especially do not take anything personally. That's been, that's that's, been a big... 
a big thing when I got like, oh yeah, that that's huge. You know, the idea that someone, if someone's nasty to you, they're talking about themselves. doesn't matter what I'm saying about you. Yeah, it's a reflection of of their reality. And, you know, in our political world and our divided country and our social media, like this is one of the huge, you know, biggest things you can take away from reading that book and, you know, the philosophy. And, you know, I read that book years before I started my company and I, I, you know, attempt to apply these principles to my personal life. And then when I was starting the company, I was like, wow, those are really great principles for a business and especially a PI business. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, man, this is perfect. And, you know, I'm also a big believer. I know you got a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs that listen to you. I'm a big believer in the name of your company. You know, as you can Mm -hmm. imagine, I don't know, probably more than half of PI companies are John Smith investigations. You know, it's the name of the guy or the girl. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a big believer in, in, Think, you know, thinking through the naming, the branding, what it means, having a story, being able to tell that and, and believing in it. Um, I, I love telling the story that Jeff Bezos originally tried to name Amazon Kadabra, which was like a shortened version of Abracadabra. And yep. everyone was like, what in the world does that mean? They thought he was saying cadaver. They had no idea what on earth he was talking about. No one was picking up on Kadabra. And he's like, yeah. Amazon would not be Amazon if we if we were so rigid in our idea of keeping it uh-huh. named Cadabra. So I, I'm a yeah. big believer in, in taking time to name your company and, and and have it mean something to you, so that it means something to your to your customer base at some point. That that makes a lot of sense. Well, and and if you use your name, then I think everyone would call you Jazuski Investigations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how I see it. I look at it. Uh, so, so you'd be forever be like that. that that's Yashevsky. That's it. so probably good to go, to go with Toltec. Easier to pronounce. Um, but, but so, so talk a little bit about how the the Tol- Toltec philosophy um, makes sense as a name for the company. Yeah. So the the Toltec were actually a precursor civilization to the Aztec, and that's where this philosophy began. And you know, over the years, you know, and when you read the book, the Four Agreements, it's you know, it's sort of a modernized, you know, easy to digest version of their overall philosophy. And, you know, the the initial thing of like, do not take things personally. I mean, that go that sometimes I have to help my corporate clients understand that, you know, it's not even a personal thing happening to them. It's like within their world as, as an employee or, you know, a, a believer in their company. And it's like, okay, it's all right. You know, especially with the counterfeiting, it's funny. We've, we've worked with about six or seven, um, uh, people who appeared on shark tank and the minute someone appears on shark tank with a great product, especially if they get a shark to invest, the counterfeiters in China are just like, Oh man, here we go. And they're immediately making your product because they know you're not going to be able to fill the demand because you were just on the show. And no matter how much you think you've got inventory, you're not going to be able to, to, to keep up because the show is so popular and people get so crazy. And so counterfeiters are ready to fill that demand. And so when you're a young entrepreneur or inventor, you come up with something and it becomes very popular. The first time you see a knockoff or a counterfeit, you really like, it's hard not to take it personally. You get, mm-hmm. you, you get so defensive. It's like your little baby, you created it, the name, the logo, everything you did. But I tell people to celebrate. I say the first thing you need to do, if anything you ever invent is counterfeited is celebrate. Because mm-hmm. counterfeiters do not create something that there's no demand for 
And so your product is in such hot demand that some guy over in China was like, well, I'm going to make some of that and get a little piece of that market. And so not for long, but you initially celebrate and say, man, we made something that people really want and they want it so bad that someone else wanted to take a piece of it away from us. And then you work on your strategy for protecting it. And so that's a, a big part of, um, you know, communicating with new clients, communicating with new business owners and entrepreneurs and inventors and helping them understand that there's always going to be the imitators and the, the knockoffs and that kind of thing. And if there weren't, it would be even worse because that means no one's, no one wants your thing, whatever it is. <laughs> no one's willing to. I've, I've been, been very sad to discover that as of yet, no one has counterfeited my book. <laughs> Terribly disappointing. Um, but, but yeah, you know, they can buy the, the, the electronic version is really easy to counterfeit, but alas, they're not counterfeiting it yet. Um, but uh, <laughs> but no, that's, that's totally a great point that, that people only want to counterfeit things that are good. And, and I, I think that also gets to, for a lot of businesses, the, the importance of recognizing platform dependency. If your whole business model is selling on Amazon, then Jeff, own, Jeff Bezos owns your business. You think yeah. you own your business, you don't. If your whole business is dependent on Facebook, then Mark Zuckerberg owns your business. You think Absolutely. you own your business, but you don't. And, and so it's really about, you know, so, sometimes people make more commoditized things, insurance agents or whatnot. And, and then be like, yeah, I know we want to take my calls. I'm like, yeah, that's because you're just like the guy that talked to you last week. Why would they talk to you? They already talked to somebody. You need to be something unique. You need to engage them. You need to give them reason to go to your website and not buy it on Amazon and, you know, really create that, that story for them more than just, more than just a product because you can't knock it off a whole experience. Um, yeah. And at that point, you're not knocking it off. You're actually just creating it, and they might as well not be counterfeiters. Then they might as well build their own company. So, you know, you really need to build a whole, you know, build a story, build an experience, build a reason to come to the website and get on the email list, so you're getting a link to the right product and not the fake product. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely something for businesses to realize. For sure, and uh, you know, the uh, the agreement. Um, that says be impeccable with your word. I, I, I always encourage entrepreneurs and new business owners to, to really take that one to heart and really everything you do, your potential customer, lead, prospect, whoever that is, is, is evaluating your authenticity from the moment you present it, whether it's the name, the brand, the logo, the, the message, the story. And so it's got to be authentic. It's got to be true to you. And if you're really struggling to find that true authenticity, then you, you might not be doing the right thing. You mm -hmm. know, you, you might have said, oh, I just want to try this business. I'm super excited about, you know, we see this in a crypto space right now. Like everyone just wants to be a crypto part of, of what's going on there. And there's a lot of people who a have no idea what they're talking about and also shouldn't be, you know, they don't understand basic investments, let alone something as complex as, you know, these, these currencies. And so mm -hmm. I always tell people, you know, be, you've got to be true. You've got to be authentic in what you're presenting and providing because people are going to see through that quickly. It, it's, it's not going to take very much for someone to see that you're not who you say you are. You're not as excited about what it is you're trying to get them excited about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's where you get those, those people making 10, you know, making $5,000 a month saying, I'm going to help you make a million dollars. Really? Have you made a million dollars? No. 
right in any other way than telling people how you can get them yeah exactly so yeah, i'm going to teach you to make a million dollars by selling courses to people to teach them to make a million dollars right right and that's what we did with our uh, our you know we we teach a lot of pi courses i have a monthly membership where i train pis and help them understand and i just give them my numbers i mean i'm not afraid to show them hey we we tried this thing you know this type of ad or this type of marketing and we invested x amount and we did it for six months and this is what it yielded and this is why we kept doing it or didn't do it or we added more or we took away and you know genuinely helping people understand you know what's working in our industry right now what's not working and you know how you can really grow your business and, and build it to whatever it is they want to build it mm -hmm. yeah i love that that concept uh, so you mentioned you built an extensive network of professional partners uh talk a little bit about how how networking has been valuable in your business yeah so um last so just a few weeks ago, and I have an update in my bio, just a few weeks ago, I, I passed my 20th year anniversary as a PI. Wow. And uh, over that time, nothing, nothing has beat the networks and, and the partnerships with other private investigators that we've created. You know, we can't be everywhere. And our work is of a nature where you can't even sort of build out a team because you don't know when you're going to need someone in one area or one country or one state. And so you you really are just building this network of investigators that you can call upon when you need them. Some of them we use every month. Some of them we use once a year. Some of them we only call once every five years. But we talk to them all the time and we're constantly communicating with them and maintaining those relationships for when we you know, need those those partnerships on particular projects or particular cases. So, um, and, and, you know, quite honestly, that's how I built the business and was comfortably able to make the jump from being a PI employee working for others to starting my own agency was all of these relationships I had built with, with customers and clients and attorneys and the type of people that hire PIs. And when my mentor, the last guy I worked for, he sold his business and he retired and that's when he said, Ski, you, you need, you know what you're doing. You need to go out on your own. You've got the contacts, the relationships, you're good with people. You're good with the cases. Like you, you know, it all, you know, the entire business. There's no reason you should take a job. You should be running your own business. People should be working for you. And so, you know, having not only the partnerships, but, but the right mentors in your space, again, finding people who are where you want to get to and, you know, not being afraid to ask them, you know, what did you do? How did you get here? What, what's the next thing I should do? You know, when do you think the time is right? You know, all of these, these things. And, you know, I bring that up to people, a, a lot of people in what I would call, you know, my industry is still like a trade industry. You know, you learn it, you're licensed to do it. You hang a shingle and you go and, and open a business. And I, I encourage guys who are landscapers to come and see me, pool guys, uh, contractors, roofers, guys installing the windows, you know, I'm always talking to these guys about what, what are you doing? Like, how, are you building the business? Like, how are you, you seem really great at what you do and you really you, you speak well and you show up on time and you return calls. Like some of the basic things that will help you in a trade business and just encouraging them to recognize that in themselves and then bring that out. Yeah. yeah I love that concept. And, and so talk about uh, mentors. Um, I know there's some people out there who are 
who are like, oh, I, I don't know why someone want to mentor me. I'm just starting to have nothing to offer. Um, so, you know, other than launching a podcast and inviting potential mentors on as guests, uh, what would you recommend to people who uh, who don't have a mentor, don't know how to find a mentor? How do they how would they get started with that? I think they should ask. I mean, I think that most people and what I've found, because I'm in a couple masterminds and I'm in a couple entrepreneur groups and, you know, what I have found is that most people who are successful at a thing, what they want to leave is a, is a legacy of knowing that they helped other people become the next whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because a, a lot of PIs who are much, this is not surprising, much less successful than me would say, Ski, why are you starting this training? Why are you basically creating your own competition by teaching these guys how to do what you're doing? I said, you got it all backwards. (laughs) There's plenty of work out here for everybody. And there's Mm -hmm. business that we haven't even created because there's not more of us promoting this idea that the public doesn't even know how useful we are as a resource, as an investigator. Mm -hmm. They have this movie and TV, you know, mentality (laughs) of what the eyes do, but then there's what we really do. And so just teaching people that helping others understand what we do can grow the industry. It's not a finite pie. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's more pie to be made and it's, it's more encouraging to help other people grow and, and, and do that. So I've seen that a lot. So I would encourage anyone, whether they're, you know, a, a young cook that wants to have their own restaurant someday, you know, ask the, the people you're working for, you know, the restaurant owners, how did, how did you do this? You know, I have a sort of a retirement, um, goal of like owning a bar one day. I don't know anything about it. I was bartender for years, but that's all I know. I know how to pour the drink. You know, I don't know anything about the business. Good Lord, the insurances, the licensing and all the other (laughs) things that go into that. But I'm like, okay, as I get to there, you know, like find the best in the business, find the people who have seven successful bars and launched multiple concepts and, you know, have, have franchised them out and like all these things, like those are the people you want to find. And I, and I find that when you ask people they, that, that have succeeded at something, they really do want to help you. They yeah. they're, want to put you in the right direction, help you avoid the, the, the mistakes they made, which is, is so huge. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you have a mentor, they're going to be like, hey, stop right there because I did that. And this is why you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've, I've absolutely found that. That successful people, they want to, the number of people I've talked to said, I've made enough money. And now I want to give back. Now, it doesn't mean they don't want to keep making money. They still want to do that. But, you know, they, they've been lucky. You know, every successful person can point to, I got lucky there and somebody helped me there and I got a break here and I was born, you know, with this asset or this mindset here. And they realize like they owe, they owe the universe. They owe, they owe kind of a, a spiritual debt that they want, that they feel need to pay back. And the people who say, oh, I, I'm too busy, kid. I don't, don't bother me. They're probably not successful. Yeah, yeah. And, and just keep asking. I mean, if you come across... People like that, which you very may happen, you know, find other people, ask other people. I, I love it. I, it's probably, I don't know, maybe two or three times a year we get a random contact through our, our contact page. And it, it will be like a high school student or a college student saying like, what, what do PIs do? Like, I, I, I want to know more. Like, I even had to write like a career paper and I always wanted to be a PI. So can I interview you for 20 minutes? And of course it turns into an hour because I want to help. <laughs> but you know, that, that's how most successful people are. They, they do want to help the, the next 
group, the next generation, the next up and coming, whoever, whatever it is in that space. I mean, it's why Peyton Manning has the Peyton Manning quarterback Academy. Like mm-hmm. the number yep. of quarterbacks now that are starting in the league and are amazing and all pro and MVPs, they all went through the Manning quarterback Academy. You know, yep. he's, he's establishing this legacy of, of, of generational success and, and teaching people what it really takes. That makes a lot of sense. Now, now so, so it, it occurs to me that for, for a lot of this, um, especially the corporate investigations, I mean, not I, I assume there's still the the hiding in parked cars with telephoto lenses kind of investigations for, for some things. Um, but for the, the corporate stuff, I imagine a lot of that's done from a computer. Is that is that right? Yeah. And we have a we have a mix. I mean, we have some full time employees that all they do is the research from the desktop online. Um, we could never put them out in the field. They would panic and they would probably... <laughs> you know, leave, leave the industry. But yeah, there, there's a certain mix of that, you know, cyber side, forensic side, digging into information, data analysis, running the, the, the records, searches and things. And then, you know, and then there's the field operatives, the guys who are going to get out there and take the photos, work the surveillance, conduct interviews face-to-face with people, which is still, you know, even during COVID, like the face-to-face interview is still where you get the most information mm-hmm. from people. And so, yeah, it, it takes, when you're building out a company it, as a PI, it really takes a mix of those individuals. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm thinking, especially in this like remote world, is there a place for people, you know, the, those, those analytically minded people to you know work remotely and, and do that kind of research stuff from wherever they are? Yep. Yeah. We have a few remote workers right now, our office up in New York and they, uh, they strictly work from home and they do all of the, you know, online buys that we need and information gathering, evidence, documentation, report writing, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I was terrible in high school, but I found out right away as if you want to be a good successful PI, it's like writing a term paper almost every day. And so, you know, you need the people who can take all this data and put it into a usable report that is easy to read and, you know, it makes sense and follows the objective. And so, yeah, you, you need all of those, those people. Well, and that comes, that comes to another great point, which is, um, so, so it sounds like you're, you're not a big fan of writing reports yourself. Um, so do, do you mostly have other people do that for you at this point? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a great reviewer of the reports. I'm okay, a fifth yep. grade teacher with the red pen going, wait uh-huh. a second, like, this just needs to be moved over here. But yeah, starting from scratch and writing reports, not, not, I, I'm good at it, but I'm slow at it. And it's not, it's not my superpower. I shouldn't be spending my time on writing other reports, but you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that I learned from my mentors and from companies I worked at is that the most successful PI companies understood that there was a service we provide, which is the investigation, the gathering of information, the evidence, documentation, whatever it is, but there's still a product at the end of the day. There's that Mm -hmm. report, whether it's video and photographs or just a written report or a combination of them, like there is a product at the end that you get, even if you just email a, a PDF report in the end with all the photos and video, like there's still a product. And there's a lot of, a lot of people that can, you know, investigate something amazing and get tons of great information, but they, they fail at creating a product that really Mm. wows the customer in the end. And then vice versa. There's people who will give you like the beautiful report, but there's nothing in there. (laughs) There's no substance (laughs) to it because they, they're not so good. So, you know, it, it takes a combination of doing both of those things 
And that's, that's one of the, the differentiators that we actually use in our business is that finished product, that finished report. In fact, generally when we're prospecting for new business, we start with the report. Well, once it's part of your strength is probably that, that you, you know, recognizing what you don't want to do, you find other people to do it. And oh, for, for a lot sure. of entrepreneurs get in trouble, you know, if they, if you, if you hate writing reports, hire someone to write reports. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That is, yeah. I mean, that's huge for entrepreneurs is to, is to find the people to do the things that are not your strength and mm-hmm. sometimes not even things you enjoy doing and focusing your time on, you know, building the business, working on the business, and then saving those parts of time in your day to do the things you really enjoy and are really good at. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you certainly learn how to do it. So, you know, you, you know how to write reports and you hope you never have to write another one. Um, but, but it means you, you can look and be like, okay, that's a good one. That's a bad one. This is how it can be fixed. But that makes a lot of sense because now you're not wasting your time. You're not wasting your energy. Um, and I'm sure you got people on your team who's like, I love writing reports. This is the best part of it. Let's get yeah, some information. Yeah. The payoff is writing this report. Let's go write it. For sure. For sure. I, I hired my brother and that's what he does. He, he has an office in his basement and he just, mm-hmm. just, he's in, he's in his zone down there, just cranking out reports and cranking out info and digging into people's business. It's great. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, and are, what would, what do you wish everyone knew about, about private investigation and, and just kind of the way information works in our world? Yeah. So, you know, and it's okay. And I've come to accept it. But when you say private investigator, the first thing everyone thinks of is just the cheating spouse. You can't get away from it. It's, it's, you know, what people think our industry is exists for. And there's a certain amount of that, of course, and it's still a valuable service. It's, there's things people need to know. Wait, are you saying the spouses still cheat during COVID? (laughs) I I thought we're done with that. That, That's still happening. They're getting creative. Let me tell you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when you're locked down and you're not supposed to go anywhere, it's kind of hard to, to use the old, uh, going out for happy hour with the guys after work excuse, Uh (laughs) but they're getting creative. But, um, yeah, I, I, when I speak with entrepreneurs or, or anyone in general, you know, it used to be back in the day when I started a business or when I was younger, they said, if you're going to start a business, you need to have a good attorney and a good accountant, people that are like looking over things. Now Mm -hmm. I like to add investigator because at some point in your journey as a business owner, there is going to be some thing or someone you want to know more about. And you may not have the time or expertise or know how to get that information about that thing or person you want to know more about. And that's all we do. We're getting information and getting more information and doing it in a more effective way for you and providing it in a way that actually allows you to make the decisions you're looking to make. And that's what we always talk about when we have clients, whether it's personal or business, I say, well, if we get that information, like what is the question you're going to answer? Like what is the decision you're trying to make? Like what is the next step so that we can actually help you sort of tailor this experience and make sure that, you know, the information and how we present it and how we go about getting it it is actually going to help you make a decision. It's not just going to be information for the sake of information. Yeah, imagine, especially in the personal situations, you know, the cheating spouse situation yeah. or something like that. I imagine yeah. it's very emotional. Like, I, I just want to know. And you're like, do you really want to know? Like, what do you, once you know, what are you going to do? 
Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of um, I don't knows when you ask someone. Well, what do you what are you going to do if we get the information that you know you you think your husband's going to Vegas so that he can meet up with this? Okay, what are you going to do with that? And a lot of times it's I don't know. Sometimes it's nothing. They literally just want to know. I'm like, mm-hmm. nothing. She's nothing. Like I'm just gonna. I just want to know, and I'm I'll just live my life the way knowing this information is going to allow me to live. And I'm like, okay. Now, are, are but, there sometimes when they, they send you to investigate and you're able to, to kind of put things, exonerate them? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, you know, you can't prove something's not going on. You know, I mean, you could spend all day and all night and <laughs> years and months and say, okay, well, you know, during the times we were there and the things we saw, you know, nothing was happening, but, um, you know, we see that a lot in the, uh, injury space. You know, we do a lot of investigations where someone might be claiming an injury fraud or Mm -hmm. something and insurance companies think there's some kind of fraud going on. And you're like, wow, we've watched this person for several days now, four or five days. They don't look good. No one can act that long. You know, you see the actors who like go to the doctor and they can barely move. And then they're out on the tennis court. Like we've seen that a million times, but you know, to, to put on a show over different locations, different times, different days of the week, different times of the day, that's very difficult to do. So mm-hmm. there are times where we're like, Hey, look, whatever you guys got to do to settle this case, like just, just wrap this one up. Like this person appears to be. Yeah. But then, yeah. uh, you know, even in personal cases, I mean, we had somebody who asked us to go watch his fiance. He's like, I just need to know, like, she's, the one like we're going to get married and this girl was like mother Teresa. she was the most innocent girl like the her body language everything she did i was like dude she goes out of her way to avoid any sort of communication interaction or any sort of impropriety with anybody she works with anybody she sees out like i and we had it all documented on video. Look, I was like, look how she moves away. From, like you, you can see it, you know, in somebody, you know. And I was like, dude, marry this girl right now. Like she's <laughs> there's nothing going on. Yeah. Uh, but there's sometimes people just don't believe you. You know, you 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 can watch someone for months and say, mm, I don't know though, something still doesn't seem right. And so mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, it's an interesting business because it is a business, and we're not law enforcement. We're not investigating a case to solve anything. Most of the time mm-hmm. we're investigating something to provide information so you can make the next decision. And that may lead to some more investigation to get more information about the next decision. But, you know, for the most part, we're not solving cases, mm-hmm. solving crimes. I mean, there are cases where someone's like, Oh, my child's missing. The mother's supposed to have them on the weekend and she took off. I don't know where they are. Okay. We find the person. All right. But we're, we're not law enforcement. We can't go snatch the kid. We can't go, you know, drag them off somewhere. <laughs> you know, we're, we're again, just providing information saying, Hey, we found him. This is where they are. Here's photos of them. We know where they are now. Okay. Now you got to get an attorney to do this and do that and that and things you need to do. Um, so yeah, we, we work closely with attorneys, whether it's corporate or personal. And, you know, we're really sort of that information toolbox and you let us know what tool you need from us. And we're going to go ahead and, and crank down on that tool and get the information yep. you need. And then you're going to take that and do the next thing you need to do with that information. 
Yeah, well, the information too. I mean, you know, oftentimes when I help people as a, as a connector, it's here's the person you need to talk to, and they've been spending three years. Uh, or here's the website you need. Here's the here's the service you need. It's fifteen bucks a month. It'll solve all your problems. And they're like, what? I, I had no idea. But all they need is that one piece of information, and it changed changed everything. I, I used to run, um, you know, l- large sci-fi conventions. I was on staff for them. And most of what I did was, it was so big, the staff was, you know, 300 people. And they need to talk to one person who could solve their problem. And I connected right. with them, that one person, and walked away. I'm like, problem solved. Because it was just that little piece of information they needed. Uh, and, and it, yes, so much of it, you know, even when you're trying to share information, uh, is it gets complicated. And when people are trying not to share information, I imagine it's hugely important to have someone to, to um, get that involuntary disclosure. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting you mentioned that because oftentimes the way we've grown, especially in the corporate space, is if we're working a case for one corporation and we're finding a problem, it's probably affecting other big corporations in that same industry, let's say automotive. Mm-hmm. So if it's happening to, to one, it's happening to the other big three, you know, for example, here in the U.S. And But sometimes getting that information to the right person at one of those companies is the hardest thing. Like who cares mm-hmm. at, a, at a company the size of a GM, who cares who is actually going to be like, Oh yeah, that's part of my job. And if I handle that, it's going to look good for me. Mm-hmm. Most everyone else is like, well, I've got this thing over here. Like, so, you know, there is, there is a big, um, big value in not only knowing who to get information from, but who to get the information to, to your yeah. point. That's, 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 that's huge. Yeah. yeah. So, so this has been a very interesting conversation. I was looking through the notes and be like, "This private investigator guy, yeah, we'd talk to him because I bet he's going to be really interesting." Uh, and so we're coming to the end of, of the, the time I allow for one episode. Otherwise, I would totally talk to you longer because um, it's been great. But if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So our website is toltech.com, T-O-L-T-E-C.com. Uh, you can call us direct, which is 727-350-7990. That's our headquarters in St. Petersburg. Again, we work nationwide. Uh, you can email me directly at mike at toltech.net. And if you look up Toltech Investigations, goodness gracious, you're going to find page after page on Google, and you can find us any which way you need to find us. All right. And to your website, it's toltech.com. We just bought toltech.com, actually. I nice. got in a small, small bidding war on GoDaddy. That's another story for another podcast, just getting that domain. Yeah, I think, like, how did someone else not have that? Yeah. It, it, like the guy, the guy with the book, maybe. <laughs> the, guy, the, guy who, the guy who parked the domain uh, passed away. And so that was oh, okay. what like, added to all this complexity. But we finally got it. So, yeah, toltech.com now rolls to toltech.net. And well done. Our- well done. Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. This has been a lot of fun, very informative and and interesting. And now I'll be more terrified anytime I buy anything. So that's good. <laughs> Thanks for bringing a little more fear and fear and paranoia into my life. No, I. It, it, and honestly, you know, I, I I'm aware of so much that's dangerous in the world, and I'm like, yeah, it's dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. in the old days I could be eaten by a bear, and now I could get something on Amazon that off gasses cyanide. It could happen. I'm not going to worry about it. If it happens, it happens. I'll do my best to prevent it, and otherwise I'll live my life. Right on. Right on, for sure. So, yeah, that's the way I do it. So thanks so much for having me on, or for, for having me on the show, for being on my show. <laughs> and it's, it's been fun. And, of course, people can reach you at Toltech.com. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate it. 
This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect, jv-connect.com. That's jv connect.com, December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.